This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Most people have heard of dyslexia, a common reading disability, but may not understand exactly what it is. Reading disabilities are the most common type of childhood condition, estimated to affect as many as 7 to 15% of children, depending on the definition used. Reading disabilities often persist into adolescence and adulthood. According to the National Assessment of Adult Literacy, almost 40% of adults in Canada have difficulty reading. It stands to reason that with the added demands for digital literacy skills, the incidence of reading disabilities will doubtless increase. But reading disabilities can be remediated through early interventions and supports, especially within our public school system. Today we discuss the Right to Read campaign. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juita Gupta, and today we're talking about the incidence of reading, reading disabilities and learning disabilities within the Ontario public school system. It's an issue that I admit I didn't know as much about as I would like to know. And as with most programs, as we get into the subject matter, I thought it would be nice to start things off with a few first-person accounts. So I was going through the website for the Ontario Human Rights Commissions, and I came across a couple of first-person quotes that I thought I'd share with you because... I think it helps to make the issue real for all of us and to understand the impact on students and their parents. Here is the first quote. This is from a student who is now age 20, reflecting on their experiences in high school. Open quote. In high school, we had access to supports, such as a resource room and guidance counselors. However, because I was compliant... Because I took academic subjects, because I didn't complain, because I refused to show either my emotional and educational struggles at school, specifically before classmates, I never received extra help. No one will ever know the amount of at-home learning and work that was required, end quote. So that's just sort of an experience that many students with disabilities can probably relate to. But here is another quote from a parent of a 12-year-old, open quote. We as parents don't expect the world from our schools, but we did expect that she, a smart, curious, creative girl, would get the same opportunity to learn as her peers. This has been denied to her, and she is not alone. In every class, she had at least one, maybe two or three, classmates with dyslexia or another learning disability. They all struggled. Sadly, our story is not unique. End quote. And so with that context and with the centering the voices of parents and of people with disabilities and students with disabilities, I wanted to bring in my guest today. My guest today is Renu Mandani, Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, or the OHRC for short, who joins us to discuss the Commission's Right to Read campaign. Renu, welcome to The Pulse. Thanks for having me. 
One of the things that people often think about when they think about the role of the Human Rights Commission in Ontario or in other provinces is that this is somewhere that I would go if I had a dispute, if I was denied service based on my disability or another ground. So is it common for Human Rights Commissions to also engage in public inquiries as part of their role? Well, just a couple couple things. Um, first of all, you, you are very right that um, the public perception of the role of commissions is largely uh, related to dispute resolution. And across Canada, that is mostly the kind of primary role of human rights commissions. Ontario and, and BC actually are, are different in that um, our commissions are not involved in receiving complaints from the public. In our jurisdictions, complaints from the public are filed directly with a human rights adjudicative body in Ontario. That's the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. And the commission's mandate is focused on uh, systemic addressing systemic discrimination through public education, policies, uh, litigation, and public inquiries. So the Commission has a statutory mandate under the Ontario Human Rights Code to initiate public inquiries in the public interest. You are correct that it is not uh, an aspect of our work that we kind of resort to lightly. We have only done um, a few large public inquiries in our history. Um, We're in the midst of an ongoing public inquiry into racial profiling and racial discrimination by the Toronto Police Service, Mm -hmm. and we are also doing this uh, right-to-read public inquiry. So certainly we have the power to do inquiries, but uh, we have not always resorted to them because, of course, they are quite uh, resource-intensive, but we felt like this issue was systemic, widespread, and affected uh, so many thousands of Ontarians that it was uh, appropriate to use our public inquiry functions. Mm. And so as we get into talking about the right to read public inquiry, let me ask you about definitions, because I think that one of the challenges with learning disabilities is that they are so little understood by everyone. And so what definitions are you working with? The DSM-5 defines a reading disability as a specific learning disorder with impairment in reading. I think people, as you mentioned in your introduction, are aware of the term dyslexia. And in fact, dyslexia is the most common reading disability. It essentially causes difficulties with word recognition and poor spelling and decoding abilities. But there are other reading disabilities as well, and they can affect uh, reading fluency, uh, reading comprehension, writing, spelling, and sometimes even speech. A few important points, reading disabilities are not related to intelligence, so you can be highly intelligent and still have a reading disability. But they are often comorbidities with other disabilities like ADHD, developmental coordination disorder, auditory processing disorder. So sometimes children who have a reading disability can can also have other disabilities. And in fact, one thing we heard is that especially for children who have a comorbidity with ADHD, 
that often it's the behavioral disability that will sort of spark the attention of educators mm -hmm. and be the focus of support and accommodation. Mm -hmm. Finally, you know, I think it's worth saying that the, a student with reading disability, that the way their disability can manifest in their learning varies. It may be as is with dyslexia, that they are not able to sound out or recognize letter or word patterns. It could be that they read very slowly or with great difficulty, or even that if they have um, a disability related to short-term memory or processing, that they may have trouble remembering what they read. Mm. Well, in speaking to us about the why of a public inquiry, you noted that learning disabilities can affect thousands of Ontarians. I want to get into the scope of the inquiry. So what are you trying to achieve with the inquiry, which I believe is ongoing? Yeah, so I think um, what we're trying to achieve at the highest level is that students with reading disabilities um, are treated without discrimination and that they are able to access education and supports that allow them to read. Mm -hmm. In terms of kind of what we're looking at in the inquiry, we're actually assessing Ontario's public education system against five widely recognized evidence-based scientific practices that are uh, known to assist with remediating reading disabilities and meeting the right to read. Those five practices are universal design for learning, so essentially looking at whether schools and teachers are using scientific evidence-based instruction to teach reading. Um, you know, in the, in the literature, what we know is that structured literacy, which is essentially a phonics-based approach, is most effective in teaching students with reading disabilities to learn to read. But Ontario's curriculum and therefore classrooms across Ontario do not adopt a structured literacy approach. They approach, a, a, they use a different approach that is not scientifically based, that is called uh, three queuing which essentially encourages students to memorize words, guess at words based on context and pictures, and to use phonics as a last resort. So, um, so we're definitely going to be looking at universal design for learning in terms of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We're going to look at mandatory early screening. So our students in grade one or even kindergarten um, screened using an evidence-based tool that would uh, prioritize or identify kids at risk of reading disabilities. Our students who are at risk or have been diagnosed uh, receiving access to reading intervention programs that are evidence-based. Mm -hmm. um, again, we, we know that there are reading intervention programs that actually can teach children with reading disabilities to read, but um, their access is limited. And so we're going to look at that. And then uh, whether students receive accommodations, and, you know, those might be assistive technology. But beyond that, whether they're actually given the training and support they need to use those technologies independently and effectively. And finally, the big issue of psychoeducational assessments. When are they required? Uh, what are the wait lists? How are those managed? That will also be uh, within the scope of the inquiry. 
We're almost ready to take a break, but just before we do, I couldn't help but notice that the inquiry is looking at the public, the English public school system. But what was no- noticeably absent was the French school system, as well as colleges and universities. Private schools were left out. Was that done on purpose? You know, we're focusing on public education because the vast majority of Ontario students are enrolled in public school. And so, you know, I think we felt like this was a good place to start, though I think the findings will be relevant to private school educators. In terms of French, it's not clear that the science and evidence around how you remediate reading disabilities for francophones isn't exactly the same. And so um, because the evidence that we and the expert we've been working with, Dr. Linda Siegel, um, have expertise related to English, we didn't want to assume that those same principles apply equally in French. I think that's something that we would encourage uh, for future consideration. Uh, That all being said, we are receiving accounts from parents and students in the French immersion program in public schools. And in fact, we just did a hearing in Ottawa, and a huge focus of that hearing was the frustration for families who have their students in French immersion, which is the majority in Ottawa, who are repeatedly told that for their children to access accommodations and reading interventions, they need to go into the English program. So we are going to be looking at the issue of access to French immersion for children with reading disabilities within public schools. But, you know, I think we've chosen to focus on public schools precisely because that's where most of the students are. In terms of colleges and universities, because of just the age of the student, we're usually looking at issues around accommodation. So. You know, you're outside the window where you can effectively do screening or intervention and teach reading, and that's why we decided to focus on primary and secondary education because that is kind of where you're doing most of your learning to read, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Renu, in the previous half of our conversation, we sort of both alluded to the fact that there is a high incidence of learning disabilities within the Ontario public school system. I wonder if you could take us through, if, if it's possible, the statistics and tell us what the statistics are saying about the prevalence of learning disabilities and the outcomes for students with learning disabilities. Sure. So as you mentioned in your introduction, um, you know, it's somewhere around 10% of the population has a a reading disability, um, including dyslexia. By far, learning disabilities are the largest category of exceptionality uh, in terms of what the province tracks. Um, Ministry of Education data, the most recent data, which is a bit old at this point from 2014, shows that approximately 45% of students with disabilities that have been identified had a learning disability. So in terms of sheer numbers, that's, uh, you know, over 75,000 students that have an exceptionality. That exceptionality would be uh, a learning disability. Um, In terms of outcomes, um, you know, recent, the most recent EQAO results show that um, 
grade three students, over a quarter of grade three students have not met the provincial standard for reading, and that rises to 53%, so over half of students with special education needs do not meet the provincial standard for reading. Finally, um, and something that really came out in our hearings is dyslexia is an inherited condition. So in terms of the impacts of reading disabilities, I was certainly surprised about how serious the consequences are. Mm -hmm. For example, we know that around grade three or four, um, you know, you stop learning to read and you start reading to learn. Mm -hmm. And so at that point in the curriculum, if you have not acquired basically liter basic literacy skills, you are not going to be able to keep up in all subjects from math to science to social studies. And as a result, you have a higher risk of dropping out, um, higher dropout rates. But also um, something that just was has been so compelling in our public hearings, and I would really encourage your readers to or your listeners to go on our YouTube channel, the OHRC's YouTube channel, and watch some of the hearings where students and parents talk about the impact on their mental health. So many uh, kids, young kids, as young as seven or eight, talk about feeling hopeless about their future, about extreme senses of anxiety and depression, about self-harming behavior, about suicidal attempts. Um, we see behavioral issues where students start to act out as a way of kind of getting out of uh, their responsibilities in school, becoming the class clown, getting sent to the office. And then ultimately as adults, what we see is uh, high rates of homelessness. Um, you know, 52% of Toronto homeless youth have a reading disability. High rates of underemployment. And at the most extreme side, involvement with the criminal justice system. About 65% of people in Canadian jails have less than elementary level literacy skills. So, you know, we're talking about very disastrous impacts. And I think why this is all the more troubling is because there is a scientific foundation for how to remediate these disabilities and, um, you know, the kind of impact that would have on people's mental health, their ultimate employment, and their well-being is, is massive. The numbers alone are staggering to me as I encounter them for the first time, as so are the impacts. So the question really begs to be asked, if the impacts are so serious, then what role do teachers as frontline, as the people on the front lines who interact with students on a daily basis have to play? What role does the school board have to play in trying to remediate learning disabilities? Yeah, so what's been really fascinating is that um, education is a highly complex system where there are so many levels of authority and jurisdiction. So, you know, you have the classroom teacher, you have the school, you have the board, you have the ministry, you have teachers' colleges. And what we've realized is that every single one of those actors has a role to play in remediating reading disabilities. So I think one thing that has been um, really heartening is that everyone, we've been in touch with everything from teacher educators to all the way down to teachers. And all of them are thirsty for this knowledge. They want to be able to meet the needs of students. And I think 
two big issues systemically, if I could highlight, are first of all the curriculum. As I mentioned, Ontario's current uh, curriculum does not uh, adopt a, a science-based reading uh, uh, program, and um, that kind of drives everything. The teachers' colleges teach teachers to teach the curriculum. So what we heard from teachers is that they receive no instruction in phonological awareness. So they don't learn how to teach children to read. They learn how to assess students' reading levels. So they know how to kind of give them assessments that say, are you at grade level or under grade level? But if a student is has a reading disability, they have no tools in their toolbox to teach them how to read. So I think that was very shocking to me to hear as a parent of kids who are going to school that, you know, our teachers don't have the basic skills necessary to teach such a fundamental skill. So I think teachers' colleges would have to take this on and start to train the new batch of teachers. And I think that, you know, boards have boards' roles really relate to, you know, accommodation, interventions, and and psychological assessments, and we heard a lot of systemic barriers in terms of just resources that are allocated to address the needs of students who, you know, even with a different curriculum might need support. Mm. We're speaking to the Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, Renu Mandani, and Renu has joined us today to talk about the Commission's Right to Read campaign. If you turn on the news, Renu, uh, and you, if you know, more recently you might have heard about the teacher strikes in Ontario, and one of the issues that seems to have cropped up is the move or the desire to move towards online education and online courses for students. It's fair to say that digital demands are compounding and there's more a need than ever before to be literate in the digital realm. Do you feel that for a student with a learning disability, this increased emphasis on doing things online might create some additional barriers? You know, it's hard to know. Um, I think it really depends on the student. It depends on the disability um, I think definitely educators need to be mindful that not all students are going to be able to access online learning um, in an effective way. Though I think the flip side of that is that um, assistive technology that relies on, for example, screen readers, um, use of Chromebooks, like they can actually be real um, benefits and real uh, supports for students with reading disabilities. You know, we're talking about online curriculum in the high school years, but I think, um, you know, by then we're hoping that students actually have learned to read and that we aren't using um, technology almost uh, with the suggestion that you don't have to learn to read Mm -hmm. because you use technology. So, you know, I think that's a new... um, you know, this is all relatively new, and I mm-hmm. think that a lot of groups um, have expressed concerns about, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach related to online learning, especially um, when you think about the, the, you know, need to accommodate students with disabilities. A couple of times already you've alluded to the public hearings. I know we can go back and listen to some previous hearings on YouTube, but if someone still wanted to give you feedback, if they had a child with a disability and they wanted to share their experiences, or if you were a student with a disability and you wanted to share your experience with, a, with going through the school system, how can the, how can the public get involved? 
yeah, so we um, have an online survey that we've received, you know, over 1,500 responses. Um, and we're, we're, it's still open. It's open right now until April 1st. And, you know, students and parents or parents can fill out that survey. And it asks very detailed information about um, the individual's experience um, in the classroom in terms of accommodation, interventions, you know, any private supports that they put in place because a lot of parents who have the means are resorting to, uh, you know, private tutoring and assessments. So we really want to get as much feedback from people in Ontario, especially um, newcomer families, racialized people, Indigenous people, people with intersectional experiences. We're really hoping to hear from, from those folks. And we will be launching another survey for educators and whether those, you know, in any way, whether they're private tutors or teachers or, you know, board, uh, uh, administration within a board in a few weeks. Just before I let you go, how can we keep up with your work and when is the report coming out? So the report, um, we expect to release the report in October of 2020. That is International Dyslexia Month. And so we're working kind of around the clock to meet that ambitious deadline. Um, In terms of keeping up with our work, we are active on social media. We are on Twitter at Aunt Human Rights. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. And, of course, we have our website and our splash page has up-to-date information on the Right to Read inquiry. Renu, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. This has been a long overdue conversation, and I'm so glad you could make the time to speak to us today. It's great reconnecting with you. Thank you. That was my guest today, Renu Mandani, who is the Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, OHRC, who joined us to discuss the Commission's Right to Read campaign. To learn more, visit their website, ohrc.on.ca, or find them on Instagram or Twitter or any of the other social media feeds you might follow. I'd also encourage you to check out the YouTube channel for the Ontario Human Rights Commission, where you can have access to hearings um, and hear what people had to say firsthand, whether they be parents or students, to get a sense of what their disability might have meant for them and their educational outcomes. We'll put up a link to the blo- on our show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse, so that if you wanted to participate in the online survey, you'd be able to go on our show blog and find the link there. So we'll make that easy for you. I just want to say that this has been such an important conversation to have because we go back to the foundation of something that we talk about quite often on the program. That is that education is a human right. And often students with learning disabilities uh, or reading disabilities, because their disabilities are are invisible, face some additional barriers. Their disability might go undiagnosed. There might be many problems, like Renu discussed, that perpetuate into adulthood, substance abuse or mental health barriers. And I think that as students with disabilities ourselves or as learners with disabilities, it's really important to expand the conversation and be as inclusive as possible so that we as blind people who aren't alone in being print disabled, can try to level the playing field for everybody else. After all, students should just be able to come forward and ask for accommodations that they need. They may not even want the label that goes along with the learning disability, but 
it's important for individuals, for our economy, and for our society that everybody has access to an education and has the right to learn to read. So on that note, I'd really like to thank our guest today, Renu Mendani, who is the Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission, for joining us on the program. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. And Andy Frank is our manager at AMI-audio. You can give us feedback by finding us at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. Thanks for joining us on the program. It's been a pleasure being with you today. I've been your host, Juita Gupta, and this has been The Pulse on AMI-audio. Thanks for listening. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.